help you all today. Isn't it great to be able to worship God in freedom? If you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Uh, my name is Surush. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. Um, as Simon just mentioned, we're going through the book of Jeremiah. Uh, we're not going to go through it verse by verse because we'll be here next year or in two years' time. And we've got halfway through. So we've picked, up, uh, picked out a few uh, uh, parts of the scripture and we'll be uh, going through them uh, within the next few weeks or so. The, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, please turn to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2. If you've been at Jubilee for a while, then your Bible should automatically open to Isaiah 61. Then you just go a few chapters further and it's the book of Jeremiah. Uh, some people laugh and think I'm joking, but I'm really not. <laughs> so we're going to read uh, from Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, we're going to read verses 12 and 13, and then 20 to 25. If you haven't got a Bible with you, the words will be projected on the screen. So, yep, let's read from the scripture. Jeremiah 2, 12, 13, 20 to 25. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water and healed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. For long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a hole. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. How can you say, I am not un unclean? I have not gone after the bars. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there. A wild donkey used to the wilderness. In her heat sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves. In her month they will find her. Keep your feet from going on shot and your throat from thirst. But you said, it is hopeless, for I have loved foreigners, and after them I will go. This is the word of God. It is indeed the word of God. Um, sometimes we're a bit shy and embarrassed of declaring that this is actually the word of God. But we should not be, because this is the word of God, part of the Bible. As I was reading the scripture and as I was studying this, it reminded me of a passage in The Simpsons um, where, <laughs> well, <laughs> the great theologian Homer Simpson, uh, but it, it really reminded me of a passage where Bart Simpson and his mate in Millhouse, they sat, they've got a Bible open in front of them, and you immediately think there's something wrong. You're talking about The Simpsons and there's a Bible in there. But Bart has got a knife and he's just very carefully taking words out of the Bible and he says to his mate, we can say all these swears from now on because they're in the Bible. And then Milhouse turns up and says, but I don't think Leviticus is a swear. But then, I think this is how sometimes even we as Christians use the word of God. So we take it, we read it, and we think, how can I use it? What sort of use is it to me? How can I use the word for my benefit? So we just pick out the words, uh, 
and sometimes we shout them out to, you, to our children. You this, this, and this, because it's in the Bible. Or sometimes we use it to, um, to get particularly non-Christians and bash them in the head with the Bible and say, this is the word of God. It says, you sinner, and I'm not because I'm in Christ. And there we go. This is for your good. <laughs> and, but really, this is there for us and it's very much applicable to us as it was to the day where it was written. We've got to understand the Bible within the context. This is the best way and the correct way of understanding it. We need to know when it was written, who are the audience, and what God is trying to tell us today through it. If it wasn't applicable to us, it wouldn't have been here. It would have been part of God's word. So let's see what God has for us. So don't go around shouting everything that we read here, saying that it's in the Bible and it's okay. Um, this passage starts with God saying, oh, heavens and earth, and so it's taking the heavens as witness. Again, as I was reading through it, I mean, it just resonated a few things in me, because it just reminded me of some of um, my memories. You see, it's very typical, in the, particularly in the Bible, for God to come and take heavens or the creation as witness. They were there when God um, made the covenant with his people, and they've got to be there when the covenant is broken, not on God's side, but on his people's side. Um, and it's the heavens and the earth be appalled, and all these sort of things. And it reminded me of some Middle Eastern ones. Sometimes they come out of the house and say, Oh, heavens and oh, the earth, the creation, the angel of death, come upon me and take me, oh, neighbors and people of the land. And you go to them and say, What's happened? My son, who is 40 years old and has been married for the past 15 years and I've got six children, has decided to leave the house. So you think, Why do you need to shout it out? It's just, it's no news. So sometimes people come and say, Oh, this has happened and that has happened. And you go to them, and it's actually not a great news. But God is saying, heaven, be appalled at what you're going to hear. My people have gone against me. This is what we've got to be scared of when it happens. So God is shouting out, saying, listen to this. And you've got to be scared and shudder. I'm about to hear something that's not good. It's God speaking. My people have committed two evils. God could have very clearly named what they've done. What have they done at this point? They had lots of ups and downs in their history. Well, generally downs and less ups. But what was happening now at this point that God is saying, this is what my people have done. As we read through the Bible, we hear that we, we can see a trend in there. God with his people, God revealing himself in different ways, God choosing people for his glory, God uh, releasing those people from slavery. And this is at that point where God has brought Israel out of slavery. So God has brought them out of a land where they were slaves, where they were working and getting nothing out of it, where they had to work, um, and they were, they were not real normal people. God has brought them out, and God said, I make you my people, and I'll deliver you, 
from this great power called Egypt, and I'll take you to a land that I will give you, and it's, I will do everything for you, and all you've got to do is remain faithful to me, because I will do it. No one else can come and deliver you. No one else could have got Israelites out of Egypt. They shouted out to the Lord, and the Lord came and helped them. So God has taken them through the desert and with all ups and downs, and God has delivered them. And now, what they've done is, they've gone after other gods. They've left God, the fountain of the living water. So God says, my people have committed two evils. He could have just said, first of all, they're corrupt in their hearts, and secondly, they've become idolatrous. But he uses some of the images, some very powerful images. God uses uh, the image of a very intimate relationship. We'll get to that in a moment. This is why Jeremiah is called uh, the weeping prophet. He's got a nickname um, amongst many people. So people know him as the weeping prophet uh, because this is the message he was delivering. I, I mean, it's not a great nickname to have. Come on. A, a man, particularly in that culture, um, being a prophet, delivering the word of God, being called the weeping prophet. He wasn't weeping because he just watched a couple of chick flicks back to back and the girl didn't really get to the man of his dreams and then yeah, he had some napkins next to him and he was just crying his tears and the tears were rolling down and he was just wiping his tears away. It, it wasn't that. Uh, and it wasn't just because he wanted to uh, draw attention to himself. He was weeping because God in his sovereignty, had opened the eyes of Jeremiah to the darkness of the heart of people. God has, had opened his eyes and told him, look, this is what my people have gone after. We heard from Simon last, uh, two weeks ago when Jeremiah first heard the call of God. He said, no, 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 I'm only a young man. I can't talk. God said, look, I'm going to use you. I chose you before you were born. So don't say I'm young and all these sort of things. I've heard it before. Moses said it. He said, oh, I can't talk, I can't do this, I can't do that. Yeah, it's, it's actually better that you can't do it, because then I will demonstrate my power through you. And then this, this young lad, Jeremiah, has his eyes opened by God to the sin of the people around. So he weeps. Trust me, if God opens our eyes to the darkness around us, no matter how tough you are, we will weep. You see people living in darkness and you know that they can easily have access to the source of light and all they need to do is to bow down before God, to bow down before the cross and say, yes, you are God and you alone are God and they decide not to do it. They, they have clouds of confusion around them thinking that this is the right way. And if God opens our eyes, we will weep. Even the toughest guys here. What would you do in that situation if you were Jeremiah? Would you just sit down and weep and think, oh, there's nothing that can be done? Or would you still go and declare the word of God? Trust me, you, you really have to have high hopes in order to go out in a society where it's been delivered by God and now they've gone astray 
to be able to deliver the word of God and say, come on people, come back. Because when you've really tasted the goodness of God, when you've tasted the sweetness of his love, how can you turn back against him and say, eh, it was for a season. Oh, yeah, you're right, but you're not the only God. There are other gods. God for my car, a God for my house, another for something else. It might be that at the time of Josiah, he was a good king, and he made some reformations, not our John John, but the Josiah in the Bible. Uh, he, he made some reformations, but they were generally external. You can never force people to make reformations in their heart. It can only happen by the presence of God, and people have to be willing to bring their hearts before God. So what Josiah did, he tried to bring the nation back on track. It didn't work. You'll read later on. If you haven't read it, you can go and read the whole book and you'll find out where the nation will end up. It didn't work because what Josiah could do was to bring uh, the right tools around and say, come on, people, get right with God. And they did because their king told them, but it was only external. It was cosmetic. It wasn't natural. It wasn't from the heart. So what happens is people still have what they want under the surface and on the surface... It's all godly and great. They still sacrifice. Things are still happening. They do things the way that God has told them externally. But inside, nothing is really happening. And this is called religion. I was caught up in it for many years. I was caught up in religion, trying to satisfy God. I was caught up in religion, thinking if I do this and do that, then God really wouldn't mind what I have in heart. So it's all right. But the darkness that we keep in our heart, the things that we keep against God in our heart, will come up. God is all-knowing. He is aware of what we have in heart. God could have named the two sins, the two evils that his people have done, but he decides to, to draw some images. He decides to do it in a different way. He could have just said, look, this is what happened, this is what I did for you, and this is what you do. And you know what? People would have a bit of deja vu and say, Oh, yeah, that's right. And they would just leave and forget about it. To the people at the time, the words of Jeremiah were boring. To the people at the time, the words of Jeremiah were blasphemous because everything's okay. We've got our kingdom. It's all sorted. What are you talking about? We had... um, some Swiss friends coming uh, and visiting us. These are great friends of mine. And uh, when they came, uh, the first time, um, they, they said, oh, I mean, we were, we were going to eat, and they said, oh, we'd like some water. So I went, opened the tap, got a jug of water, and brought it. And they were looking at me, and they said, is this how you normally drink water? Well, there are other ways, but when you're not around, I'll use other things, like my hand. (laughs) I'm only joking. But uh, is there another way of drinking water? And they said, oh, yeah, it's it's fine. I said, no, enlighten me. How do you drink water? They said, well, we can only drink from bottles because the water, uh, the tap water, is not really suitable for drinking. And we told them, look, you're in Teesside, and the water that comes in here is amazing. The tap water is just great. It's like the living water. It's just like flowing from the rivers. So you've got to change. It's amazing. 
And to us, it was and it still is amazing. Because sometimes, especially in winter, when it's com it comes and it's really cold, it's like you're drinking from the river. Well, I don't know what's behind it really, but whatever it is, I just assume it's from the rivers and it's amazing and it's great. Anyway, again, as I was reading this passage, um, God says, my people have forsaken me, uh, the source of living water, and what they've done is they've got systems for themselves. What they've done is they've left this great tap water that comes, and it's amazing, and they go and get it themselves bottled water that have been on shelves for years and years, and no one knows whether they've passed their expiry date. The source of water in Palestine uh, in those days, uh, well, we're blessed in this nation by having rain. Some of you might think blessed is not the right word, but hey, um, if you go and uh, visit some other nations, you will know that the rain in this country really blesses the land. But at the time in Palestine, uh, just like many other Middle Eastern countries, the rain is not really there all the time. Um, uh, sometimes we have dry seasons there. So what happens is people uh, make cisterns uh, in the rocks to collect water. And then this water is used generally for day-to-day uh, -day use for household and also for the dry seasons for the land. But what happens is, as the water settles, you will also get mud at the bottom of it. Now, this is a typical cistern um, that is used um, and still used in some parts of the world. Um, what God is saying, he says, I am the source of the living water, and you have chosen not to come to me, but go and make yourself cisterns, and they're not proper ones anyway. They're broken. So what you find is that if it's broken, it leaks, and all you get there is mud. There's no water in there because it has leaks and cracks in it. So this is what people have done. Matthew, if you could get my artwork out, please, that would be great. <laughs> this is as creative as I can get. <laughs> can you all see it? Maybe we should put it over there. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. You're a star. I'm very creative, aren't I? <laughs> In many different ways. So this is what people have done. They've forgotten about the source of the living water, God eternal, and they've gone and cling onto these. It might be that when they got settled, their neighbors came and told them, look, we know that your God, we heard about your God many generations ago. We heard how he delivered your fathers out of slavery. We heard about it. But have you heard about our God? No, we've got this great one. Let me show you. Do you want to come around for dinner and I'll show you? Or shall I take you out to the pub around the corner and I'll show you another one? They've got an amazing one. It's golden color and it's got red and white. And it's just amazing. And I'll take you somewhere else. My cousin, he's got a better one. Maybe it's time for you to come to these gods. Come on, the times have changed. Yeah, what you heard from your fathers is fine. Yeah, it was all true. I'm not saying it's all history. But... The times have changed. You live in this great nation, in this great culture. Why don't you just align with us a bit? Why, don't you, why are you so ancient? This Jehovah, yeah, he's fine, he's good. I'm not saying he's bad, but why don't you just come and learn a bit from us? So they go and see that the gods of their neighbors are actually great. Sometimes they're tall. Some of them have got a big belly. They've eaten quite a lot. Um, so they think, 
maybe it's time for us to choose some of them. Jehovah did great things. Where is he? Jehovah, God, show me yourself. No, he's not around. I'll actually rather worship a God that I can see. So I want to see my God, and I want to create my God in a way that I like to see. So I don't want to wake up to a God that's ugly. I want to wake up to a God that I've created in a way that looks good to me. So I'm going to use my hands to create my God. This is what happened. Whether it was political, whether it was the pressure of the time, whether it was just the pressure of culture, this is what happened. People had forsaken Jehovah. He was on their wall of fame. And sometimes, for some of them, he wasn't even on their wall of fame. He was just forgotten. Jehovah, come on, he's so ancient. Don't talk about him, you'll embarrass us. It's just the times have changed. Talk about something else. You know, like the youngsters, when you talk to, when you talk to them about a band, they'll go like, what? Uh, that's like the 60s. Um, or, oh, that was five years ago. And you think five years ago, and it's, it's a bit old for them. It was the same with the Israelites. What they done was, God is saying, you've forsaken me and you go and worship trees and woods that you've created. So this is what the Israelites had got. It's funny, isn't it? They would pass by and say, Hi, Dad. You all right? And there'd be nobody there. Some of them would pass by and say, Our Father, Thou art great. You have given us children. You have given us plenty of fruit in our land. You are great. It sounds funny to us, isn't it? But it's also at the same time bittering. Because today, there are people who still do this. It might not be a piece of wood. It's other things. Again, a piece of wood is so ancient. Come on, we've got to change the gods. It's just, you've got to be creative, you know, like me. You've got to be creative and you've got to change things. So today, there are people in our neighborhood who are worshipping things or people they might not call it worshipping, but they are worshipping them. They are worshipping, but it's not the one true God. And it might not be this piece of wood, but it's something similar, because it probably has no life. And even if it does, it's limited. So they're doing this. So when people go and do this, Jeremiah sees them, and God gives him words. So they call him, All right, Jerry, come here, son. Sorry. <laughs> Tell us. What do you think? And he says, well, God says this and this. You've forsaken me. You've done two evils. And this and that. And they get bored. They probably tell him, oh, you better go back. You're, you're depressed. You better go and see a doctor. You, you, you never talk about good things, do you? You never talk about the things that we do well. Um, you're just so critical of everything we do. So you, we might just exclude you from the society. So th because they can't understand him. Because you see, unless you really see the heart of God, and unless you understand how he feels about sin, you don't have a good understanding of it. In this culture, what I've found is that you can't really talk about sin much. Because, again, it's out of date, and it's not good. And historically, it's been used to oppress people. But the Bible very clearly and openly talks about sin. Now, as Christians, I want to encourage you to talk about it. Because sometimes we have to be against the culture of the day. But I want to encourage you to talk about it fully and completely. Don't just go around and say, you're a sinner, that's a sin, and that's a sin, and I'm a good person. This is not biblical view. You've got to give people the full picture. 
So you go and tell them what the Bible says about sin. You've also got to tell them about what the Bible says about the solution to it. And there is only one solution, and he is called Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was crucified and died on the cross and rose again. The same Jesus is the solution 2,000 years ago. He is the solution today, and he is the solution for the generations to come. So if you, talk, if you ever talk about sin, do it completely. Do justice to it and talk about the solution. I remember our maths teacher, when I was in secondary school, he would try really, really hard to tell us that there is a problem. Uh, it didn't take long to understand that there is a problem. Yeah, X and Y and Z and all these sort of things. You see, there is a problem. You've got to find out the solution to it. Yeah, 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 come on, tell us. No, you go and find a solution to it. That wasn't much of a help. So let's not be like that maths teacher who would just try to prove that there is a problem. Yes, there is a problem. Sometimes we've got to try and prove that there is using the Bible. But also, at the same time, remind people that there is a solution. Tell them that they still have a chance to come before this loving God. What we just heard today, His love that never fails for us. So Jeremiah was saying, you've done two evils. God was saying through Jeremiah. But then at the end, there is repentance. Come, you've done this, it's fine. As long as you come to me and repent and get rid of these and don't call them your father. Don't go around and say, hi, dad. Don't go to them and say, you're our father. You gave us life. You gave us children. Because they couldn't. God says to the Israelites, you call them, but in the times of need, you come to me. (laughs) How do you expect me to help you when you go around with them and he uses powerful images. God says you go on every high hill and under every tree and you are worshipping idols. And he goes further than that and he says you go into these two places and you have sexual relationship with idols. It's so sobering, isn't it? The most intimate relationship defiled by Israelites. God, who declares himself as this great, powerful husband who has taken care of this nation, who has provided them in every single way, is saying, you are like an unfaithful wife. You have gone around and you have slept with these idols on high hills, talking about going high, talking about transcendence, and under every tree, which is the sign of fertility. You go under these trees, and in the hope of having lots and lots of children, you have this intimate sexual relationship with idols called Baal at the time. What are the idols called today? Where do people go on high hills and the trees, under the trees? Away from this loving God, for these sort of relationships. It's spiritual adultery. You see, just like physical attraction, there is spiritual attraction. See, when particularly with girls and boys at a certain age, they go around and they look at somebody and they think, ooh, she or he is attractive. The first time I, well, Attractive is another word, but the first time I heard the T-side word for it, 
it was when we first came here and we lived here for a few months and I had my first job here and obviously getting used to the slangs and uh, everything else. So it was our lunch break. So we went out uh, with these three guys to eat for half an hour and come back. And then these three lads, they were sad in there. And they suddenly told me, ooh, look at this fit bird. <laughs> and I was looking around, looking for a chicken, looking for, <laughs> looking for a turkey or something. That is, and I was thinking, how can a bird be fit? Do they have gyms for birds here in this country? So I was seriously looking for a bird. I was looking for an animal. Uh, and I was thinking, God, show me what a fit one looks like. But he, he, <laughs> it doesn't matter how he did it. But <laughs> and then, this is how it happened. I was thinking of that bird going into the oven, butter and everything around it, and just me sitting outside looking at it for two hours, praying that it would come out delicious, and Mavish having the pot of rice ready and... <laughs> they were actually talking about girls. <laughs> so there was this girl passing by, and they were saying, in other words, she is attractive. Now, this is perfectly natural. I'm not saying go and do it, but you, have attra- you are attracted there to, if you're a boy to a girl, or if you're a girl to a boy. Um, the same is with, with the spiritual attraction. Uh, people are attracted spiritually to things. But there's only one thing that we should be spiritually attracted to and give our everything to is God himself, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, Israelites, again, had got a bit bold. They thought, it's, mm, come on, we need more, we need a bit of difference. Uh, it, just got, it just doesn't work with this Jehovah. So we've got to have other sorts of spiritual uh, people, other sorts of spiritual attractions, things that would attract us, namely idols. They wouldn't call it this. They would just say, oh, well, something else. They're not idols. We're not idol worshippers because God actually quotes them. God later on in the passage says, I said this and you said this and then they go and deny themselves again. So God remembers everything. So there is spiritual adultery going on here. As in Ezekiel chapter 16, I would encourage you to go and read it. God also says that I planted you um, and I was hoping you would turn out to be a very good vine because I did everything needed. And I did everything on my side. I chose the best place. I was a great gardener. But what happened that you turned out to be this wild vine? What happened to you? Sometimes I ask myself this question, what happened to that person? Or what happened? Why did it turn out like this? I mean, what did I do? What did God do wrong to them that they turned out this way? They had felt the goodness and grace of God. What happened that they walked away? What happened? Why is this child behaving this way? What happened? And God is asking the same question, what happened? Because... Well, Naturally, it should have been that you turn out great and you'd be the display of my splendor to the nations. What happened? Heart issue. Darkness of heart happened. God is saying to them that it doesn't matter how well you wash yourself, you still come before me and I can see the sin in you. You see, sometimes we think that by doing good things, the sin 
that, ha that, that has gone before God will be washed away. There is only one way that our sins can be washed away, and it's by the blood of Jesus Christ. Trust me, I have lived with religion, and I have lived with weighing things up and down for years, and I know that the only way to God and the only way to this freedom is through Jesus Christ, who is his son, who came down and lived on the earth, who gave his life for you and I, and didn't stay in the grave, because many of the people that I worshipped in the past they were in the graves. And I could see that they were in the graves. I couldn't physically see them, but everything about them would say they're still in this place. There was a big stone laying there to say, this person died at this time and in this year. And I was going there saying, will you go before God for me? It's funny, isn't it? This person couldn't do anything for himself, never mind for me. If he could do something, he would raise up from the grave. Jesus Christ is the one and only who went to the grave but rose up. So if you're trying to cling up to other things, it's not worth it. Because they can't help themselves. I can't help you. No one else in this room can help you. But what we can do is we can only point you to him. So go to him, the fountain of living water. Some of us might have made systems for ourselves, thinking, just for the rainy day, in case God doesn't deliver, I'm going to have this great reservoir where I can collect some water this is not faith. Do you believe this isn't faith? If it was this way, and if as a church we had to collect water for a rainy day, in case God doesn't deliver, we won't be here. If it wasn't for faith, none of us would be here today. It's God who builds this church, and it's God who provides for us. So if you have built systems for yourself, no need to be ashamed of it. Go before God and say, will you take it away? I want you to be the fountain of my life. I want to draw water from you. At the end of the day, Jesus did say that he is the water of life and he alone is the bread of life. So if you trust in his word, trust him fully and in faith. Know that he will deliver. It's his will that will be done in our lives. So if you have made systems for yourself, you won't find anything other than mud at the end. You will be disappointed. You can't have the fountain of living water and the cistern. You can't worship him and this bit of wood. I don't know where I used it first, but God doesn't do hung parliament. It might make sense to many of our friends from this nation. He doesn't do it this way. He can't take the throne with somebody else next to him in your life. He alone must be the highest priority in your life because he is the highest personality in the whole history. His name is Jesus. And God is telling them, look at your ways in the valley. What was happening in the valleys in those times? What was happening to the idols in the valleys in those times? People were sacrificing their children, young boys and young girls in the valley. And you know what? The very people of God who were supposed to come and tell them, look, you don't need to do this. This is against God. You are sacrificing people. The very people who have been made in the image of God. And it's not going to take you anywhere. You've got to do it this way. Come and believe in Him. Instead of going and shouting, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to come and tell you that one day He will send His Messiah to rule and reign over the earth, they go and say, can you tell us a bit about what you do? Uh, Sounds interesting. Can we join you in? Is that right? Would you mind if we come and join you? Uh, can you show us how you carve these pieces of wood? 
Maybe you can help us with uh, your rituals as well. What time do we bow down? What time do we lift up our hands? What time do we bring our children and sacrifice them here? This is all still happening in the world. Maybe not in the same way. And it's your responsibility and my responsibility to go out and tell people that rather than doing this, rather than calling this piece of wood father, showing them the real father, who has the heart of a father. If you are a mother and father, you know what loving your children means. You can show them and point them to the heart of the father. God gave Israel sandals and clothes for 40 years in the desert. He provided for them. Can you provide for your children for 40 years? Can you give them a pair of shoes and they would wear it for 40 years and it won't worn out? (laughs) Yeah, four days maybe. (laughs) I can imagine people in the desert going to one another and saying, look, have you noticed my shoes? I've had them on for now, God knows. I mean, since we left Egypt, I only nipped to Clark's to get a pair of shoes so that I could join you guys. Moses told me off and he said, you can only buy one pair, don't buy two because you've... Yeah, come on, God is going to provide for us. And I bought it, and it's really good. This guy in the clerks, he must have been really good at what he does. Because look, they haven't worn out. Even my son can wear them. They probably never thought that it's God sustaining them. Or the woman would go to one another and say, look, the flowers here, they're still there. The color hasn't faded. They they probably didn't think that God has sustained them. God is sustaining us, Jubilee. We need to believe in Him and trust in Him. We need to be careful that we don't align ourselves with the world when the pressure is high. We need to make sure that we don't align ourselves with the world when they laugh at us. We need to make sure that we, uh, we align with the Word of God regardless of what it takes. And He will provide for us, whether it's 40 years or 4 years. He will provide for us and what we need. He will equip us. He will send us out. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we're always in line with Him. We need to make sure that we go and point people to Him, rather than allowing people to point us to their gods, because they're not worthy. None of them are eternal. None of them can live forever. None of them have lives in them. So Jubilee, make sure you do this because this is what God has called you to do. We start from our neighbors to the nations. This is what as a church we're called. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. Come on, what else do we need? His presence, the very presence of God is with us and goes before us. What else do we need? We just need to have faith and know that he will act. We need to make sure that the spiritual attraction of other things around us are not very attractive. They don't look attractive to us. We need to make sure that we're aligned with Him and He alone is the source of attraction to us. We need to be attracted to Him and Him alone. We are His bride at the end of the day and He is the groom and one day He will come. Shall we stand together, Jubilee? Can I ask the band to come up, please?